Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you are determined to live a life that pleases God, then you must know what pleases him. Because what you think pleases him may only be pleasing you, right? So you can't be in God's will if you have no idea what that is. You may have good intentions, but that's not the same thing. God wants you to know what he wants from you. In other words, it is his will that you know his will. That's why Paul prayed. If God did not want you to know his will, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, would never have asked God to fill those believers, and that includes us, with the knowledge of his will. Not just knowing it, filled. And the word knowledge in that verse means correct and accurate knowledge, precise knowledge. Not just knowing God's will in a vague, you know, broad view, but exactly, clearly, so that you know exactly what you should do every day of your life. And you can be there. We can be there. Now, there are two aspects of God's will. There is his general will and then his specific will. Now, those terms, I, I'm just using those terms. Th those terms are not found in the Bible. But the principle is found throughout the Bible, you see. It's kind of like the Trinity. Sometimes people say, well, can you show me a verse in the Bible that says God is one in three persons? Can you show, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I know that, but the principle is found throughout the Bible. Go back to the very book of Genesis. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. Who's us? Who's our? Well, the angels. We're not made in the image of angels. Ta-da! Right? So, likewise, God has a general will and a specific will. His general will is what he desires for everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now. It's what he desires for everyone. It is his common purposes from which no one, and I repeat, no one is excluded. There's always somebody in the church that thinks, well, I'm the exception. No, you're not. No, you're not. Hallelujah. Then his specific will is his designs for your life. It is his unique plan for you and only you. So in that regard, his plan for your life is unlike his plan for anyone else who's ever lived. It's unique, just like you're unique. Praise the Lord. The general will of God is revealed to us in the scriptures. The specific will of God is revealed to us by the Spirit. And we need to know both. We need the word 
and the witness. I mean the written word of God and the inward witness of the spirit. We need to be fed and we need to be led. We need to be fed on the word of God. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. I'll say it till the day I die. The word and the spirit agree. You cannot have one without the other. If you think you're being led by the spirit without the knowledge of God's word, you're going to wander off into confusion. If you try to live by the word without the spirit, you're going to fall flat on your face. You need both. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, this is a very simple message today. It's not hard. I know sometimes I preach things that maybe it's a little hard, but this is easy. It's so easy when I'm through, I'm going to go to the covenant kids and just share word for word the same message to, to the bigger kids. It's very simple, but this is what I have. If we get out of God's general will or out of his specific will, I didn't say Pacific, like the Pacific Ocean, specific, <laughs> specific will. If we get out of his general will or specific will, we will get into trouble. For example, you know very well the story, Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the people there. Nineveh was a city. It was the capital city of what was then the Assyrian Empire. It was a very large city. The book of Jonah tells us it took three days to, to walk around that city. Praise the Lord. And so it's, it was located in what is present-day Iraq. But unlike you and me, Jonah didn't want to do what God said. So he boarded a ship headed for Tarshish. Tarshish it's hard to say it. Tarshish was probably the coast of Spain. So he went in the opposite direction from like what today is Iraq, you know, Mesopotamia. He went in the opposite direction. In fact, he went as far as you could go in the known world. Beyond that, you know, you're heading toward the, the quote unquote new world, North America and all that. So why did he just not go to Nineveh? Why didn't he just stay in Israel? Why get on a ship and go that direction? He wasn't just trying to get away from Nineveh. He's trying to get away from God. He, I guess he thought if I stay in Israel, God's going to keep dealing with me. So I'm going to get as far away from this place as I can. I'm going to go to the other side of the world. That's like some people say, well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm afraid God will speak to me. God will speak to you in the bathroom. God will speak to you in the back of an auto rickshaw. You can run, but you can never hide. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Uh, but things did not go well for Jonah. I think it would be safe to say God did not bless his journey. Maybe as he boarded the ship, his wife said, safe journey. It don't matter. It ain't going to be a safe journey, honey. <laughs> it's going to be a lousy trip. <laughs> uh, the Bible says that Sometime after they took off, there was a terrible storm that nearly tore the ship apart. And the sailors, and these are not people who are just sailing on, on Sunday as a hobby. The, this is what they do for a living. They're throwing the cargo overboard. And they began to pray. Now, when sailors start praying, you know you're in trouble. They began to pray to their pagan gods, whatever it is they worshiped. 
And uh, the crew found Jonah asleep. That's what the Bible says. Asleep under the deck. So evidently, this, this is a violent storm. This is like, this is like a, a cyclone. Evidently, Jonah was not bothered by all this. He's asleep. Some of you seem to be like Jonah right now. <laughs> he was asleep. Just because you're taking it easy, I'm, I'm cool, I'm cool, that doesn't mean you're in God's will. Amen. Just because you're not bothered, that doesn't mean you're doing right. Huh? So they, uh, they found out who Jonah was, and they asked him what he had done to cause the storm. He told them it's his fault. And he said he was fleeing from God in disobedience. At least he was honest, right? So when the mariners, you know, the sailors, the crew, when the mariners asked Jonah, well, what should we do? Astonishingly, it's amazing, he told them, you have to throw me overboard. I mean, Jonah is kind of a different person. <laughs> he didn't say, pray for me. Pray for my mother. No, he said, you got to throw me overboard. And they were reluctant to do that. You know, they were hesitant, no matter how bad the storm was, they were reluctant to do that. But seeing no way out, the Bible says they prayed to the Lord. They didn't pray to their false gods. They prayed to the God of Israel, the living God. It's amazing. They suddenly found faith. <laughs> and they asked God, forgive us what we're going to do. And then they tossed Jonah over the side of the ship. And the Bible says the storm immediately stopped. So here's number one, a good lesson to, to remember. Being out of God's will not only hurts you, it endangers others. Everybody was about to go down to the bottom of the sea. Being out of the will of God not only hurts you, it endangers other people. And you may be hesitant to do it, but friend, I have to tell you, if there's a Jonah in your boat, you're going to have to toss him out. You'll never have peace till you do. I'm not talking about your spouse, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Storm is over. Oh, glory. But Jonah's problems were not over. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That could not have been a pleasant experience. That was disgusting. <laughs> I've been, I, I grew up near the ocean. And if you get stung by a jellyfish or something, you just scream and holler. I don't think you know what a jellyfish is. It's a, you know, one of those transparent things that goes like this and has all these stringy things. Well, they're poisonous. If they, if they just br uh, brush up against your leg, you know, it itches. It's like being stung by a bee or something like that. And if you see, I've been in the water when you saw like a fin go by. You're not sure if that's a shark or a dolphin or something. And man, we all ran for the beach. He was swallowed. <laughs> by this giant fish. He's inside the belly of the fish. I mean, what did the fish have for lunch before he had you? I mean, you know, he don't take breath mints or anything like that. This is, this is stinky. This is nasty, really nasty, huh? Now, there are some people 
skeptics who question whether this story is factual, whether it actually happened. But Jesus referred to this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 41. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus, Jesus did not doubt this, so neither should you. Hallelujah. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, as far as we know, Jonah never stole anything. He never lied to anybody. It's interesting, even when they asked him, who are you, he told them. He was very honest. He told them, it's my fault. It's who I am. Jonah did not uh, commit adultery. He did not murder anybody. We don't have any record of that. As far as we can see, he lived a clean, pure life. So the question is, why did all these bad things happen to him? Hmm? I mean, doesn't Psalm 91 promise to protect us? That angels will guard us to keep us from stumbling? Why didn't Jonah stand up and rebuke the wind and the waves and say, peace, be still? After all, he's a prophet of God. You cannot claim God's best if you're not living in his best. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith is based on the will of God. You may be asking for something that is God's will, but it won't work if you're not in God's will. Let me say it again. You cannot claim God's best if you're not living in his best. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jonah did not violate God's general will, but he disregarded God's specific will, and it cost him. He did not disobey the written word. He disobeyed the spoken word. It is just as much a sin to disobey what God has spoken to your heart as it is to violate the scriptures. Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord, that's true. Look at your person next to you and say, that's true. Hallelujah. But that's not the end of the story. In the belly of that great fish, even there, Jonah prayed. You don't have to be in church to pray. You can be in the back of a bus and pray. You can be in the bathroom and pray. Some of my best prayers are in the bathroom. <laughs> Just me and the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, some people try to turn any kind of a prayer meeting into some kind of a social event. We're going to pray. When you get there, there's cakes and there's chicken. We're not having any chicken tonight. It's just prayer. <laughs> Jonah didn't have any biscuits. Maybe some undigested fish bones, but it's just he in the belly of the whale. And he prayed there, and God heard him. And Jonah chapter 2, verse 10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out on dry land. You just can't keep a good man down. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it later. <laughs> that fish was more obedient than the man of God. God spoke to the fish and said, upsy-daisy. <laughs> and the fish went, boom. <laughs> That fish was more obedient than some Christians we know. Come on. The Lord speaks to some people, you know, I want you to give this much in the offering. And they go, did I hear something? I don't know. 
The Lord tells them, I want you to give this person a ride to the meeting or a ride home from church. And they're like, I need to go home and pray about that. Isn't it amazing? God appointed the fish. God spoke to the fish. And God appointed you and God spoke to you. But you're just sitting there. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The fish don't give God any problems. When Jesus told his disciples, uh, you know, Peter, cast your net on the right side of the boat, his net was full of fish, began to break. That's because all the fish in the Sea of Galilee said to one another, you heard what he said. Come on, get in the net. And they did. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I wish we had some of that here. I wish we had people like that here today. If God says it, all right, come on, let's go. So Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached. And the Bible says the people believed his message. They believed God and repented. Even the king of the Assyrians stripped off his royal robes and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes, which was an indication of his contrite, broken heart, a sign of his repentance. And God spared the city. He didn't destroy it. And Jonah rejoiced. He did not. He was ticked off. He was angry. He was irked. He looked like some of you. He was really angry. (laughs) And he sat outside the city and just sat there in a bad mood, a long bad mood. You see, he wanted the Assyrians to die. Some people preach about the judgment of God because they really want some people to be judged. (laughs) Some people love to preach about hell. They'll even help push some people in if they can. (laughs) God wanted to spare these people. He wanted to spare them. I think... I think somehow Jonah knew that these same Assyrians are one day going to invade and conquer Israel. And they did, by the way. They did. And I think maybe he felt that if he could could bring a quick end to them, if God would judge them and wipe them off the map, then he would be sparing the people of Israel. I don't know, but I think that's what he was thinking, you see. But actually, the fact that they repented and turned to God made them less bloodthirsty and less likely to go conquering other lands. God's smart, and he knows if you do this, Jonah, you think that you're giving a favor to these undeserving people, but you're actually doing me a favor. You're doing your own people a favor. Hallelujah. So the story of Jonah shows us, if nothing else, how one man can change an entire nation. One man. John the Baptist was just one man, one voice crying in the wilderness. Do not underestimate the power of just one voice. Hallelujah. The story of Jonah proves to us That one man who is submitted to the plan of God can actually change the trajectory of history. So if God asks you to do something you don't want to do, 
Know this, that he has your best interest at heart. He's smarter than you. He loves you more than you love you. And you should trust him because he knows what's going to happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And God can use even our failures for his glory. I said God can use even our failures for his glory. Among the various gods, you know, small letter G, among the various gods that the Assyrians worshipped was their god Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, Dagon, who was a half man, half fish. In fact, ancient statues, which have archaeologists have found, in those, Dagon is depicted is having the, 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 the head of a fish. But underneath it is the head of a man. Some, some of them, like his mouth is open, and inside the mouth of the fish is a man's head. So isn't it possible that when Jonah was spit out by that large fish, it happened near the shore? See, if that sea monster had... had, uh, had, had uh, vomited, him, vomited him up in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah would have likely drowned. Right? I think for those three days and nights, that big old sea creature turned around and said, this way. And Jonah thinks, where are we going? We're going back, we're going back to Nineveh. That's where we're going. We're going well, I'm going to take you. You didn't want to go by boat the way I want to take you. Now we're going to go by submarine. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and, and if he was vomited up on the shore by this fish, this creature, whatever it was, it's very likely that people saw that. They knew about that. And don't you think that the people of Assyria, hearing this report, this large sea creature vomited up a man and he came to our city, they would think that's Dagon. Dagon has come to us in the flesh. And so Jonah walked in reluctantly and said, repent or God will destroy this city. And they started repenting. Woo, God is smart. He's smart. Hallelujah. Not only did the people of Nineveh believe, but even those sailors on that ship, they in turn believed. One way or another, God's going to get the glory. If not sooner than later, God's going to get the glory. Even through your failure, God can get glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. However, we also need to follow not only God's plan, but his commands. We need to obey his word. So David was a man after God's own heart. He was appointed an anointed king over Israel. In fact, he was more than a king. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. Many of these psalms, of course it's scripture, but there's a prophetic message. Sometimes he's talking about the cross, the, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. The, the apostles in the book of Acts, they frequently quoted from these psalms. So did Paul. David was a valiant man, bold in faith. He faced enormous opposition, but he prevailed. He's a great inspiration. But even great men can fail. Notice with me 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. 
In the year, I told you this is a simple message. Nobody will misunderstand this, I don't think. In the year of the spring, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. But David remained at Jerusalem. So this tragic story, and it really is a tragic story, begins innocently enough. It's interesting. It was time for the kings to go into battle. But David stayed home. He wasn't in his place. Nobody complained about it. You know, God didn't send a prophet to him to rebuke him. He, he just made a decision, I don't want to do this. And he delegated, this is very important, he delegated responsibility to others for something that he himself should have done. Delegating is good, but don't delegate because you're lazy. Hmm, right? Delegate because it's wise. Don't delegate just because you don't want to do it. And back at the palace with the army out in the field, David was alone with nothing to do. And if you read the story, the implication is that he was bored. He's bored, you see. Many people, of course, they're not here this morning, but many people fall into mischief because they have too much time on their hands. They're sitting around all day long with nothing to do. And they get discouraged. Next thing you know, they're reaching for the bottle, right? They, they have nothing to do. And they start getting a little frustrated. And so, you know, they, they, they get into trouble somehow. You know, I don't believe it's God's will for you to be bored. And I know you're not bored right now. Come on, are you guys going to stay here this week? I know you're not bored right now. Yeah, that's right. You're learning. Hallelujah. I don't believe it's God's will for you to be bored. I think if you really are led by the Lord, he'll keep your life full of eventful opportunities. When I was a little boy growing up, which was a long, long time ago, when I was a little boy growing up, sometimes I made the mistake of telling my mother, I'm bored. I'm bored. And she would say, good, then clean your bedroom. No, I want to do something fun. I'm bored, okay? Here's some books for you to read. Do your homework. Help me, you know, do the, the, clean the compound. And I learned never to tell my mother I was bored. I never, I never, I never told her I was bored. If you tell the Lord, I'm bored, he will find something for you to do. Lord, show me your will. All I see is a broom. You're learning. <laughs> he will keep you busy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm not saying that you have to be going, you know, every minute of the day. Just, never, just you know, I'm not saying that. We need time to rest. We need time to repose. We need time to reflect. We need time to ponder and meditate. But some people are professional meditators. They just, you know, horizontal meditation. That's not how God wants us to live. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be busy, productive and busy, doing something. I believe that something is better than nothing. Well, I'm just waiting for God to open a door for me. I don't think you're waiting on God. I think he's waiting on you to get your big behind off the bed and get moving. Well, I can't get a job. You know, busloads of people from other states 
arrive here every day and by nightfall they have a job. Amen. Get busy. Do something. Something, oh, I could preach three sermons right now. Somebody needs to hear this. Oh, but I'm called. I know I'm called to the ministry. Oh, really? Really? Where did Jesus find Matthew? Playing carom board? No, he was seated at the seat of taxation, doing his job. Where did he find Peter and Andrew and John and James? Where did he find them? Playing computer games at home? No, they were busy working. They're in the fish. They're in the fishing business with their father. They're busy catching fish. Where did Elijah find Elisha? Plowing his field with 12 yoke of oxen. Isn't it funny? Whenever God wanted to call somebody, he found somebody that was already busy. Come on, you're just deceiving yourself. You're just growing older. You need to get out there and do something. The problem is God has opened a door for you, but your flesh doesn't want to do it. Come on. Come on. So you're delaying your own destiny. Many times a small door will lead you to a giant room. Little opportunity can take you great places. All right, I got that off my chest. I feel better. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> One afternoon, walking along the veranda, the rooftop veranda of his house, David saw something. Bathsheba in a bath. It was an accident. It wasn't intentional. He wasn't, you know, kind of you know, trying to see what he could see. <laughs> like some people. <laughs> it was an accident, an honest mistake. But rather than turning away and shielding his eyes, he leaned in for a closer look. Proverbs 27, 20, I didn't put it in my notes, but Proverbs 27, 20 says, the eyes of man are never satisfied. It's true. The eyes of a man are never satisfied. Just one look. I'll just want one look. Just one more look. Just one more. No, it never, never works. So he stayed home when he should have been out. This was the second mistake. He leaned in when he should have pulled back. If David could have seen the future, and the series of events that he was setting in motion, he would have quickly turned back. He would have gone inside the house, taken a cold shower and read a book or something like that, and he would have gotten away from that situation. And David could have said to himself, oh, that, this is wrong, I'm, this is wrong. It's not right for me to look lustfully on a woman. Lord, forgive me. See, he could have, he could have done that. And he would have been fine, see. But David went one step further. He inquired about her. And he sent his men to investigate. Why? Why? You don't, you don't need to know anything about her. I just want to know what's her favorite color. You know, uh, uh, what's, what's her birthday? Uh, I just want to know her name. Why? You don't need to know that. It's not necessary for you to know that. If you don't need to know something, guess what? You don't need to know it. In other words, curiosity can get you in a lot of trouble. I just want to taste that booze. I don't want to drink it. I'm just curious. Oh, I've heard that a thousand times. I don't really want to smoke marijuana, but maybe can I just try to taste that? Curiosity will send you to a place you don't want to go. If you don't need to know, you don't need to know. 
The Bible says that we should be like, like children when it comes to sin. We should, we should not be, we should have wisdom, but when it comes to sin, we should be children. We should be innocent like children. Some people are so smart when it comes to sin. They know all the terms for every drug, you know, you know. <laughs> At least act like you're ignorant. <laughs> Hallelujah. And David was a man of action. David was not an indecisive person. He's not the kind of, you read the Bible, he's not the kind of person who just sits underneath a fig tree saying, hmm, what should I do? That's Saul. Saul would do that. But he was a man of action. But what served him well when it came to following God's instructions was his downfall when it came to following his own carnal desires. So in other words, when it comes to obeying God, we should be bold. We should be decisive. I want to obey God. When it comes to the pull of the flesh and sin, we should be like Saul sitting under a fig tree. I don't know. I don't think this is right. We should, be, we should stop, repose, think about it. Right? Some people, when it comes to obeying God, they're real hesitant. Like here comes the offering, and suddenly they have arthritis. I can't hit my hand on the money. You know? Well, that same hand had no problem reaching for a bottle last night. <laughs> I better move on. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So David learned she was married. And he could have put on the brakes. He could have said, married? Oh, sorry. But instead, he shifted into high gear. So he, he, you know the story, it's not pleasant, but you know, we gotta, we gotta just be honest. He brought her to the palace and he committed adultery with her, right? And honestly, you can't completely blame her because he's the king. What can she do? He, she's, he sends his men to get her, what can she do? I don't wanna do it. I mean, they're gonna take her, right? So in a sense, this was like almost rape. I mean, she could have resisted, and she should have, but he's the king. She, she's, a, she's just an ordinary, helpless person. She says, there's really not much that she can do. And so she returned home. And I'm sure David thought in his mind that uh, the matter's all settled. It's okay. He just went on his way thinking, whew, that was fun. It's great to be king. But for every choice, there's a consequence. And you know, uh, she became pregnant. Sometimes, you know, people, it happens, you know, and they say, I don't know what happened, but now I have a baby. If you do things to make babies, you will make babies. <laughs> if you don't understand that, talk to Brother Lloyd when I dismiss, and he'll show you. He'll explain it to you. He has experience in these matters. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for sure. <laughs> right? So now she's with child. So there's unmistakable proof of his wrongdoing. There will be questions. There'll be inquiries. He's in trouble. Everything he's worked for could come crashing down like a house of cards. And thus began the cover-up, which was worse than the original crime. You know the story, but I want to go there. David pulled her husband, Uriah, off the battlefield under the pretense of getting a first-hand report 
an action report on the, on the war. And I'm sure David asked him a bunch of fake questions. How's it going? And pretended to look interested. Oh, 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 good to know that. I'm so glad. You're, you're, you're just an ordinary soldier and I'm the king, but I, I pulled you off the battlefield because I thought maybe you and you alone can tell me what to do. <laughs> Nobody believes that. And he tried to engineer it so that Uriah would uh, go home that night, spend the night with his wife, Bathsheba. Why? Well, it's obvious, so that nine months later, everybody would think that's Uriah's baby, not his, right? But Uriah, being a loyal soldier, slept outside, like on the front steps of the church. He just slept right there on the steps of the, you know, squatting mosquitoes all night long, but he, he just slept there. It sure would have been easier for David if Uriah was some kind of obnoxious, rude, rebellious degenerate. But he wasn't. I mean, if it was just like this really, this child of the devil, this obnoxious person, he could have like maybe thrown him in prison or something. That, that would have been so cool for David. <laughs> but Uriah was innocent, dedicated. Uriah wasn't even a Jew by birth. He was a Canaanite who converted to the God of Israel. He's, he's like Ruth. He's one of these people who, who's not just got a cultural religion. From his heart, he's following God. And so David talked to him again and feigned, pretended to show concern. You, you didn't go home last night. What's wrong? <laughs> like, why do you care? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go home. And Uriah... Being the pure person that he was, he said, he said to the king, the Ark of the Covenant and the army of Israel is resting in an open field right now, you know, battlefield tonight. They're resting in an open field. How can I go home to my house, eat and drink, and sleep with my wife? And David went, that was the very thing he was hoping. And then he said, as the Lord lives, I'll not do this thing. And David got this really bad feeling. So he tried something else. He got him drunk. He got the man drunk. So obviously Uriah is not from Northeast India because he, he, just, he still was faithful. He, he, just, he still just stayed in the palace. If he was like some people I know, he'd be singing happy birthday at three o'clock in the morning. And he'd been with several women that night. But no, <laughs> he was faithful. That didn't work. And then David went one step further and plotted to kill him. See how this selfishness just keeps growing from a look to an action to sin, more lying, hypocrisy, and now murder. He instructed the army general, place Uriah in the fiercest place on the field. And then, in the heat of battle, intentionally pull back from him, leave him exposed to the enemy, which would mean certain death. And here's the thing that's just so sad. He sent those instructions to his colonel through Uriah. The guy is carrying his own death warrant. See, think about it. Even David knows Uriah is so submissive to authority and so loyal, he won't even take a sneak peek at that letter. And he died. He died. 
And David took Bathsheba, and he thought, mission accomplished. All's well that ends well. Come on, baby, let's potty. But that's not the end of the story. In 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, we read, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Why didn't God thunder from heaven the first time? Why didn't he hear a voice from the sky saying, don't look at that girl. Hey, I'm talking to you, boy. <laughs> Why didn't God say, don't you even think about bringing Bathsheba to your house. What, what's wrong with you? But God didn't say anything. Why not? Because he'd already said something in his word. And if you won't listen to his word, he may not speak to you at all. Are listening to me? Don't misinterpret the silences of God. Just because God doesn't say something, that doesn't mean he agrees with you. Hallelujah. I know it's sober, but it's true. Think about this. David was in the plan of God for his life. He was in the position ordained for him, doing the assignment that God gave him. But he violated God's general will. He didn't need a special revelation of the Spirit. He had the Word of God, which is for everybody. God does not have two sets of standards, right? One for the ordinary believer and the other one for celebrity saints. Hmm? Well, if your church is really big, your ministry is really big, you're on television, then, of course, there's a different set of rules for you. Uh-uh, that is not true. We have one word of God for everybody. Don't think that you're so big and, and, and well-resourced that, that you can ignore God's word. It doesn't matter how long you've known the Lord or how many wonderful things God has done through you for the kingdom. If you violate his word, if you disregard his commandments, like David, you're gonna get in trouble. Amen? So God sent Nathan the prophet not to instruct David, but to expose him. And what David did was wrong on so many levels. You'll forgive me, but Uriah, he's got one little sports car in his garage. David has a go-down full of cars. <laughs> you don't need this man's car. You got, your own, you got a lot of cars. In fact, Nathan said in 2 Samuel 12, 8, I gave you your master's house, meaning Saul, and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would, have, I would add to you as much more. Isn't that amazing? God said, look at everything I've done for you. Everything I've given. You were a nobody. Have you forgotten where you came from? Don't forget where you come from. Have you forgotten where you came from? Look at everything I've done for you. You know, you have, you have all the resources. You have the finances. You have the authority. I, David had lots of wives. I'm not suggesting that, that you do that. I'm just saying that he, he, he got, it's not like he's lonely. I mean, you know, he's got, a, he, he's got enough to keep him busy every night of the week. I, mean, I don't want to go there, but you know, <laughs> you can figure that one out yourself. But you know, so, so God had blessed him so much. And then God said, if that's not enough for you, I would do even more. You see, God's way 
of blessing you will be done righteously. God's method of provision will not involve lying and cheating people and stealing and destroying other people. Come on, you can't go to the State Bank of India, rob it, and then say, praise the Lord, I'd like to testify my God shall supply all of my needs. The, the devil supplied that need. That is not God. Amen. Come on, some people, they do all kinds of things that are wrong, and then they try to justify it by quoting a scripture or two. Ha! Good luck with that. Are you listening to me? It's real quiet today. Maybe I shouldn't preach on this. Hallelujah. Maybe we should sing another song or something. Hallelujah. But there's more. When David was confronted, this is very important. You, you got to hear this. When David was confronted with his own wrongdoing, Nathan, it just, just the words must have just reverberated through his soul. Nathan said, you are the man. But David's response was clear and frank. He said in verse 13, I've sinned against the Lord. Now he's starting to make the right decisions. He's starting to do the right things now. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, what? Beth who? I don't, I don't know any Beth who. I was Sheba who. I, you got the, you, you, you know, I have a brother, Shimei, who looks just like me. No, 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 he didn't try to deny it. <laughs> it was nighttime and he dresses, he often wears my shirt. No, no, he didn't try to die, deny it. He didn't pretend ignorance like some people do. What? Is that wrong? I, I didn't, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize that was wrong. Are, are you saying that, oh, uh, come on, that's so pathetic. You know, you know you're wrong. He didn't shift the blame to others. Well, see, when I was growing up, my father never gave me much affection, and that's why this is happening in my life. In fact, uh, it's actually kind of a disease. Pray for me. I don't pray for you. Slap you across the cheek. Hallelujah. He took sole responsibility for his actions and admitted his own guilt. And in verse 13 again, Nathan replied right away and said, the Lord also has put away your sin. That's amazing to me. That is so amazing to me. Think about after all that he's done. I mean, it's just terrible. And God didn't say, you wander around in the wilderness for five years and after that praying and fasting every day, I might think about forgiving you, but I can't promise you anything. He said right away, your sin is removed from you. That's the merciful God that's your father. That's good news. Hallelujah. That means even if we've fallen like David, and honestly, in some way or another, we all have, we can turn to God and say, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And God will say, and your sin is removed. David didn't, you know, crawl on his belly across Jerusalem while choirs sang sad songs behind him. David didn't try to cut himself with glass or, you know, beat himself with a hammer or anything like that. He just simply said, I've sinned. And God said, and your sin is removed. Woo! Glory to God. He is a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. Saul, in contrast, King Saul, I mean, what he did was almost nothing compared to David. 
He just didn't kill all of the Amalekites and left their sheep and cattle. I mean, to me, that seems like kind of a no big deal, actually. I mean, so And David was immoral, committed murder, and an innocent man murdered him. Why didn't God remove David like he removed Saul? That's a good question. God doesn't show any favoritism. It's because David repented and Saul made excuses. Saul only feared being embarrassed in public. He said, come on, he told Samuel, just, just honor me in front of the people. Just, just go ahead and do, do, go ahead with the, with the sacrifice because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. David feared God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But wait, I, I, I got to go one step further if you can just bear with me. God forgave David's sin. However, he did not remove the consequences of that sin. The child that was born to Bathsheba died. Later, David's son, Amnon, his son from another wife, raped his stepsister, Tamar. And David didn't do anything to stop it or anything. In fact, David didn't even punish Amnon. Why not? Because he did the same thing. He did basically the same thing himself. Then Tamar's brother, Absalom, murdered Amnon his stepbrother. Absalom fled and then came back and engineered a coup. And David and his entire palace entourage had to vacate Jerusalem. Everybody had to leave the capital. Then there was a civil war, and in the end, Absalom was killed. Then a man named Sheba uh, organized a revolt, all of the tribes against Judah. And actually, he was sowing the seeds of the split and the division which came to pass in the days of Solomon. And the words of Nathan came true in 2 Samuel 12, 9. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. I thought David was a man after God's own heart. The word despised means to treat lightly. You didn't take what I said very seriously, did you? You didn't take it seriously. There was a terrible price to pay a terrible price. Again, it didn't just affect, affect David. It affected generations of people. Amen? I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. If it wasn't for his, for his patience and his endurance, I know I wouldn't be here. I don't know about you, but I certainly wouldn't be here today. I'm so thankful for his unmerited favor, his grace. I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that God has washed me and cleansed me because like Maybe not like you, but, but, like, but like some of these people, like Jonah and like David, I have failed. I've messed up. But God, God was so kind to me. Can anybody also agree with that? Is that, is that anybody else's story in this house today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Both Jonah and David knew the will of God. There was no mistake. Jonah knew. David knew too. But knowing is not the same as doing. So I want to know the will of God. Knowing alone doesn't please God. Just because you can quote a thousand verses, that doesn't mean anything. It's doing it. 
I'll give you one last scripture because our time is up today, but Hebrews 10.36 says this. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise or what was promised. Not after you know the will of God. Not after God has showed you his plan. After you have done the will of God. The reason why some people don't know God's plan, they can't make up their mind whether they're going to do it or not. Many Christians pray, Lord, show me. Show me your plan. Show me what you want me to do with my life. Show me from A to Z, the whole picture. And God's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Because whatever he shows you, you're responsible for. You first decide. You make the dedication. Whatever you want from me, Lord, I'm going to do it. In fact, even concerning the general will of God. When you read the Bible, you need to make yourself a promise. And we need to be reminded of this. Lord, whatever you show me from your word, I'm going to do it. And then he'll show you. Not everything, but to say, this is the next step for you. So that means dedication precedes revelation. He's not going to show you everything, and you can just sort of look at it and say, I like this part. I don't like that part. Uh, that part, no, no, no. If God showed me everything that I experienced over the last 27 years, I'd still be in Virginia Beach. Because it hasn't always been fun games. Even right now. I mean, <laughs> there's been challenges. He's not going to show you everything. He's just going to give you the next step. I want you to go. And you're going to say, why? And there'll be no answer. Because he wants you to trust him. And there is no trust without unanswered questions. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Praise the Lord.